0: How do you do? Mr. Brian Peters feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast, gravely amusing, without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold an episode from the mind of Brian Peters, a fan of pop culture who sought to create a podcast after his own image, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest podcasts ever listened to. It deals with two great fandoms of pop culture, humor, and horror. I think it will thrill you, it may shock you, it might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such strain, now's your chance to... well, we warned you. Hello everyone and welcome to another lactose intolerant episode of Gravely Amusing, the only podcast as willing to spend $150 on 10 boxes of count chocolate cereal and not even feel bad about it. I'm your friendly neighborhood host Brian Peters. How are you listeners doing? I hope you're well. I hope you're enjoying this Halloween season with family and friends, and I hope you're doing good mentally and emotionally. And I hope that you're just winning in life. I love seeing people just win. I I really do. <laughs> um, sometimes I don't feel that I'm very much winning in life. But it's nice to see family and friends you know, get those promotions, um, have another kid, get to go on those vacations, uh, just smiling. I, I like to see people win. I like to see people be happy. Um, so I hope that you... Are winning as well. But if you if you are feeling depressed or like nothing's going right, just remember what Eric Draven said in The Crow it can't rain all the time, guys. Today on Gravely Amusing, though, I'm going to bring some joy to you. At least I'm going to try to. I'll uh, bring a little nostalgia to you. I'm going to talk about one of the greatest films ever, one of the greatest musicals ever. And one of the greatest creations by one of the greatest creative minds of all time. I sure said greatest a lot in there. And I sure said creative a lot. But, you know, whatever. Um, the creative mind I'm talking about, of course, is Tim Burton. That's right. This year is not only the 30th anniversary of Jurassic Park. I should have done an episode on that. I apologize. I suck. Um, um, but it's the 30th anniversary of Hocus Frickin' Pocus. And it's also the 30th anniversary of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Some people say this movie is a Halloween film. Uh, Some say it's a Christmas film. It's actually borderline. It's, it's, It's actually both. Because the film begins on November 1st. Today. And if you don't believe me that this film takes place on November 1st, the mayor in the film yells, 365 days till Halloween! And the Wolfman corrects him because the Wolfman is the best. And the Wolfman corrects him and says, 364. So there you go. Um, so it starts with them returning from Halloween night. So boom, you know, you know that's it's the truth. So it's a November 1st movie. So there you go. So in tonight's episode, I'm going to discuss this film. And I'm also going to give what I feel are the, like the top movies actually directed by Tim that are not Batman. So I think I have like three of them. So, uh, but you know, they have that horror feel that graven music is all about that quirky, you know, humor type stuff. Uh, you know, Halloween, Halloweeny, creepy feel. Uh, but mostly some of them, uh, some of them on my list, you know, they just, they have heart and uh, that's what graven music is all about. So, So some people think Tim Burton actually directed The Nightmare Before Christmas, but he did not. He did not direct this movie. Uh, Actually, he barely touched this movie. Uh, This movie is just from his mind. He created the concept of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Now, Tim did not direct this because he was working on Batman Returns at the time, and he also didn't want to deal with directing stop motion See, this would be the first ever full-length motion picture that was f- stop motion. The first full-length. So, every one before that, it would be like twenty, maybe forty minutes. And this movie, uh, this movie's runtime, I believe, is is uh, roughly about ninety, if not a little bit under. So, um, and I and I don't think any stop motion was ever released in theaters before. So this was this was a really big deal. So it's called Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas because it's from his mind and Disney really likes money. (laughs) So uh, it wasn't because he directed it, you know, the more you know. Uh, So let's get to the story of this film, okay? So if you have not seen this masterpiece or it's been so long, you've forgotten about it. Let me tell you, let me talk to you. Uh, The film opens with one of the greatest songs of all time. This is Halloween, this is Halloween, 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 Halloween. Uh, my wife and I play that song all the time, even when it's not Halloween. We just we just love that song so much. So in this song, we uh, get introduced to Halloween Town and its residents. And it's revealed that this is the land of the holiday Halloween. And every year, the citizens go to the real world and scare people and they do their thing. And they are led by who they call... The Pumpkin King, Mister Jack Skeleton, and he's just a large skeleton. The only pumpkin thing we ever see on him is in the beginning; he has a big giant pumpkin on his head. There's like nothing on his costume that's orange and black or anything pumpkin related. His house isn't even a pumpkin. Um, in fact, everything in Halloween Town, Tim Burton made a rule that everything had to nothing could be right angles. Everything had to be crooked like a 45-degree angle or whatever, Um, which, you know, it's really cool. But the only pumpkin thing we ever see on Jack is this pumpkin in the beginning. So, you know, whatever. But uh, so why is he's called the Pumpkin King, I'll never know. But uh, uh, it is a pretty cool name. You know, the Pumpkin King. (laughs) So Jack, uh, it turns out Jack is actually tired of Halloween. Uh, It's the same thing over and over and he longs for something new and exciting in his life. And he wanders into the woods and he finds a circle of trees with doors on them. And they seem all to be different holidays. Uh, and he opens the one with the Christmas tree and he enters Christmas Town. And then we get another badass song. Uh, we get the song that is, what's this? What's this? There's everywhere. What's this? <laughs> um yeah, you can tell I like this movie. Um so Jack sees all this Christmas stuff, and, and in this world it's very Dr. Susie, you know, Grinch's this whole Christmas. Um everything's you know bright colors against the white, you know, everything Christmas should be. And uh, Jack is so excited as he sings this song and says, you know, what's this? What's this? Um but so he goes back and he shares his findings with Halloween Town. And the town doesn't, you know, they don't get it because all they know is Halloween. They don't, they don't understand the concept of Halloween. But when Jack mispronounces Santa Claus as Sandy Claus, then that piques their interest. They're like, oh, he has claws. Okay. Okay. So Jack isolates himself at home as he tries to find a way to explain Christmas. But he just decides that Halloween Town can approve upon it. And he's going to take over the job. So Jack starts giving the citizens. You know, different jobs for to do for. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know Hallowissmus. Or whatever. And uh, in, in, in the middle of this. We're introduced to a character Sally. And Sally is basically. A Frankenstein girl. Created by Dr. Finkelstein. Or Finkelstein. Uh, and she is actually. In love with Jack. Uh, she's been in love with him for a long time. And. Uh, Sally is just struggling to be independent. She's tr- struggling to get away from the doctor. She poisons him sometimes, just so she can escape. Um, you know, she longs for a different life too. And um, and um, she sees a vision of a burning Christmas tree, and she warns Jack about it, but he won't listen. So Jack uh, then asks evil trick or treaters. Lock, shock, and barrel to kidnap the Sandy Claws and bring him to town. So, kidnap the Sandy Claws. (laughs) And uh, Jack, uh, when they kidnap him, they bring him to Jack. And Jack tells uh, Santa that he'll be taken over this year. And he orders Lock, shock, and barrel to just keep Santa safe. Instead, they take him to the boogeyman, Oogie Boogie, who is Jack's great rival. Uh, Sally tries to save Santa, but she gets captured. Jack plays Santa, and he, uh, you know, gets a sleigh and stuff, and he scares the whole world. And the military eventually shoots him down. Uh, Jack is thought dead, but he survives and has a new love for Halloween. Now that he's found new ways to scare people <laughs> using Christmas type tactics, so Jack saves Sally and Santa. He defeats the boogeyman or Oogie Boogie because I'm the boogeyman. Uh, And then Santa saves Christmas and Jack and him make amends. And the movie ends with Jack saying he loves Sally too and a kiss and everyone is dead happily ever after. So that's the nightmare before Christmas. So how did this movie come back, come about? Well, let's go back to 1982. Even before I was born. No scratch that. Let's even go back further than that. Let's go back to the day that Tim Burton was born. August 25th, 1958. So Tim was born August 25th, 1958. And he grew up outside of Hollywood in sunny Burbank, California. Uh, his mom, Jean, owned a cat themed gift shop for crazy Catleys. <laughs> and his dad, Bill, was a former minor league baseball player and uh, was also working for the park and recreation department. So Tim would make stop motion films and eight millimeter films in his backyard. Uh, he was introverted, uh, creative mind. And he found happiness and pleasure in drawing and painting and writing and watching movies. You know, Not unlike not myself. He did play water polo in high school, though. <laughs> and uh, his work was inspired heavily by Dr. Seuss and the equally legendary in my mind, uh, Ro- Roald Dahl. And if you don't know who Dahl is, he wrote some things you might know. He wrote James and the Giant Peach. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Matilda, which is the fantastic Mr. Fox, and the BFG. So great influence there, like one of the, one of the greatest. Um, after graduating, Tim attended the California Institute of the Arts, and he studied character animation. And as a student in 1979, he made a short called Stock of the Silvery Monster. Which is written, directed, and animated entirely with a number two pencil, because you have to use a number two pencil. Uh, this film caused calls such a stir uh, in in the world, in the film world, and interest about Sam, you know, rose. And he got a call from none other than Walt Disney Productions, and they hired him as an animator uh, or an animator's apprentice. And he worked as an animator, a storyboard artist. Graphic designer, art director, concept artist. The, the man just did it all. Uh, he worked on some movies such as Fox and the Hound, Tron, and The Black Cauldron. But uh, his concept art never made it to the films. But 1982, going back to 1982, 1982 was a big year for film for Tim. A huge year for Tim. And it would change his life forever. Uh, he would write two poems this year one poem was named vincent and that would become actually a short film that was actually narrated by tim's hero vincent price uh, this film is about a kid named vincent who dreams of actually being vincent price man to just be able to write something and do a film and have your hero your hero just narrated for you like how cool is that oh that would be oh man that would have been awesome um, but yeah he and so he would also he would write that and then he would also write a three-page poem called the nightmare before christmas now he drew inspiration from the grinch and rudolph and vincent price of course for the nightmare before christmas Uh, He worked with an animator and a producer buddy named Rick Heinrichs or Heinrichs and another animator named Henry Selleck. And they create storyboards and some character models. And after Vincent got some attention, Disney considered developing nightmare before Christmas into a film. But, um, but when they looked at it, they, they thought it was just a little too weird. (laughs) So, um, so they let, Tim Byrne make a short film uh, with actors Daniel Stern, uh, 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 Shelly Duvall, and um, the kid from uh, the kid from um, Neverending Story. And they made a concept, they made a little short movie um, called Frankenweenie. So he was able to have his idea Frankenweenie come to life, and and later on he would actually make a stop motion. Um, movie for Frank and Weenie in 2017. But in 1982, he made Frank and Weenie, and Disney did release it, but then they actually fired him for basically making things that scare kids and being weird and wasting their money. So Frank and Weenie was lost to them. It was a little weird. It kind of like scared people, I guess, somehow. Um, And they thought he was weird and just wasted their money. So they fired him. They fired him. But, uh, this is Tim Burton <laughs> and, uh, not all hope was lost. You see, um, a certain eighties and nineties icon named Paul Rubens, um, saw Tim's film Vincent and he knew he needed it for the big film debut of his character. Pee Wee Herman. Uh, so Pee Wee hired Tim to direct his movie, um, um uh, what the heck was well, the first Pee Wee movie made? Uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yes, so Tim directs Pee Wee's Big Adventure, his first big movie to, to to direct, and Tim directs it, and he he has he's given eight million dollars to do it, and the movie makes over forty million dollars, so he gets like a thirty-two million dollar profit, which in the eighties was pretty freaking good. Um. And this film is an absolute cult classic. It, it skyrocketed Pee-, Pee-, Pee Wee even to bigger heights and skyrocketed Tim. So, uh, Burton and Pee Wee, while making this movie, were fans of the musical group uh, Oingo, Oingo Bongo, Oingo Bingo, I don't know, uh, who had a hit named Weird Science. So, you know, Weird Science is it real? Weird Science. And weird science, that song was actually used to basically make a movie, or it was made for the movie uh, Weird Science, which is a, a, a great '80s movie. Um, yeah, that's a great '80s movie. <laughs> um, and they actually make a TV show of it in the '90s. That might have, might even have be even better than the movie. Um, but yeah, so the lead singer of that band was none other than Danny Elfman. Now. At this time, Danny Elfman had never scored a film before, and he and you know Pee-wee and Tim wanted him to to score the Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So, since Pee-wee, he has actually scored every single Tim Burton film except Ed Wood, Sweeney Todd, and uh, Miss Peregrine um, and you know her students. So, so Burton made a hit with Pee-wee. And Pee-wee made Tim Burton's career, and Pee-wee also helped skyrocket Danny Elfman's career even further than being being a rock star. So, um, so Burton made Pee-wee, and then Burton made Beetlejuice, which was another huge hit. And Warner Brothers was like, "Oh man, this this kid this kid's great." So, because he had an ability to make big movies, successful movies with low budgets. So they hired him for friggin' Batman. Huge, huge hit, Batman. Huge hit. And, you know, Burton was dropping banger after banger. I'm like, I mean, he just knew what he was doing. So in 1990, uh, Tim Burton's ex girlfriend, Disney, calls and says, Oh, you're so successful, Tim. You're so successful. Um, I want you back. <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> that's not how, that's not how it went. Um, but in 1990, Tim, you know, after doing Pee Wee, Beetlejuice, Batman, well, he was you know he's very successful during this time, and he he found out or he remembered that Disney still owned the film rights to Nightmare Before Christmas. So Tim has you know a good bit of money right now. So he goes to Disney and says, "Hey, I want to buy the rights for Nightmare Before Christmas," but um, but Disney, being that ex-girlfriend, and knowing that they let someone like Tim go, they say, "Well, um, what if, what if you could just make it with us? You know, that's what you wanted in the first place, right? You know, you know, you want you 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 wanted to have kids with us in the first place, and, and we said no, we said no, and 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 you know, I, I, I can make it right, Tim. You know, just just come back to me, Tim." So, um, so Tim said, sure. Um, you know, but he unfortunately couldn't direct because he was doing Batman returns. So let me say this again. Tim did not direct nightmare before Christmas. He did not direct it. He barely touched this movie. It was only a concept from his mind. So, um, and stop motion is just absolutely exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting um, so to put it in perspective if you don't know what stop motion is so uh, sometimes figures of the characters the animate you know the animation uh, figures are created with clay or um, sometimes it's you know toys or you know whatever they, whatever they have and basically they move the figure the you know a figure of the character like an inch and then they take a picture. And they move it another inch, take a picture, move picture, move picture, move picture. And and some and, and put in perspective even further, uh, it can take one week to film just one minute of a movie. It's exhausting. So Burton needed a screen a screenplay, he needed a script, um, and he needed a director for this movie, and he needed someone to score it to put, you know, give him music. So he calls up people he trusts, people that understand Nightmare Before Christmas, people that worked on it before. So he calls up Henry Selick, his animation pal, to direct, and he calls up Danny Elfman to get, to score it. You know, people he can trust. But he does not hire Danny's girlfriend, Caroline Thompson, who at this time had just worked on a movie with Tim. Um, you know, before Batman Returns. Um, she just worked on a movie with him called Edward Scissorhands. So it, would it, it kind of makes sense if you're going to, you know, get Danny on the project again for a nightmare that maybe you call Carolyn because she just worked with you on Edward Scissorhands. But Tim doesn't do that. Uh, he, he, uh, hires his friend, Michael McDowell. who worked with him on Beetlejuice. So let me put it in perspective. Um, I do like saying that word. Let me put it in perspective, <laughs> but uh, or, um, so things that Carolyn Thompson wrote that maybe you know those in the 30s and, and older might remember these movies. Um, she wrote Edward Scissorhands. She wrote the 90s version of Adams Family. Uh, she wrote Homeward Bound in the 90s. You know, with Shadow Chance and Sassy. Um, she wrote that that remake. And she wrote The, Corse, the Corpse Bride, uh, what she would write Corpse Bride later. But in this time, she had Edward Scissorhands, you know, Adam's Family, Homeward Bound, just iconic movies of her childhood written so well and full of, of heart and zaniness and fun. Like, the, the woman can write. She can write so well. Um, but Tim went with Michael McDowell. And the problem with Michael McDowell is he loved cocaine a little too much. And... Uh, Tim had to let him go because he didn't produce and uh and the job went to Caroline then and Caroline was you know she was a little bitter so uh, Burton with Danny Elfman by his side uh, made, he, made him re-envision it as a musical when they brought Carolyn on so because Michael McDowell wasn't do his job so the the whole concept was changed to better better fit Danny Elfman's you know, musical style. So they, they made it a musical and they, since they didn't have a script yet, Danny would basically write a song for the, for the movie and Carolyn would, would work on it from there and write the script. So, you know, a song going through, you know, going through the story, doing a song and then the script would write and Carolyn and Danny worked together in the same house and outside Hollywood and basically kind of made this movie. And, uh, and Danny was tired of his band Ungo uh, Bongo and he wanted to change in his life. He wanted to change in his career. So as he was writing songs and things with Jack Skelton, um, basically Jack Skelton became Danny Elfman. Like Jack Skelton is Danny Elfman and everything that Danny was feeling in life. And as Caroline created Sally, Sally was what Caroline was feeling. And, So basically it's a love story between Danny and Carolyn kind of wrapped into this movie, um, which actually worked, actually worked really well. So, um, but the problem with the script and doing stop motion is, is basically Henry Selleck would take things that Carolyn wrote and he would just change the script because it didn't work for the stop motion scene that they were filming. So it was a mess, and there's probably a whole lot of tension between them, uh, I'd imagine. But um, filming began in July 1991, and it was absolutely exhausting. Uh, Over 120 people worked their butts off to put this movie together. Uh, Henry, Caroline, all them, um, they wanted to actually change the ending of this film to make it that Finkelstein was Oogie Boogie all along. And Tim came to the office and he saw this and he was so pissed off. He was so full of rage for them changing him, changing his idea that he kicked a hole in the wall in the studio. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that didn't go well. So they, they made sure to stick with what Tim had for the ending. So all in all, uh, the film was released by Touchstone Pictures. So the Disney name wouldn't be on this film. Even though Disney, you know, owned Touchstone as like a sister company, and it was all looked at, it was still looked at as dark and too scary for kids. Like they actually even showed it to a theater full of children, and it it didn't it didn't go well. <laughs> so, um, to further sell the movie, you know, they put it under Touchstone and they they changed the name of the movie from just Nightmare Before Christmas. They changed it to. Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas which really hurts Henry who who worked on it and directed it because Tim didn't really do anything on this movie it just was his idea so Henry and Caroline they did all the work and instead of just you know Henry's name is in the credits as a director but like you put Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas people think that he directed it produced it you know he wrote he did everything but that's not the case. So it's kind of a slap in the face to Henry, but Disney wanted to sell this movie and they knew that Tim Burton's name at this time meant money. So they, they threw it on there. Um, the movie didn't do too great until like, it didn't do great in theaters. It, 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 it I mean, it made some money, but it didn't do very great. Um, so it didn't really start doing well and becoming popular until about early 2000s like 10 years later and it was noticed probably because a hot topic <laughs> um that there was a cult following to this movie and movie rentals were very high with blockbuster um and hollywood video at the time like people were rent this movie all the time so disney started marketing this movie more and doing merchandise and figures and clothes and i mean you know how disney is they they gotta milk anything they could uh Anything that's an IP. So so that's how we know this film today. And I think the film is rather beautiful. Uh, it's one musical I've watched probably the most. Um, you know, maybe. It might be the one I've watched the most. Maybe. Uh, I've just always loved how Tim Burton looks at the world. I've always felt like a loner myself. Like no one really understands the world like I do. Um, I, I feel in life sometimes I just have to, and it's tough because I'm also a deaf man. So I feel like a lot of times I just kind of have to agree with things and just, I don't know, just kind of go with the flow because, you know, I can't hear things and I don't know, I don't want to argue with people. Um, but some, uh, sometimes in life, I think that. You just need to do what gives you happiness and you know what you really want to do and not do what other people tell you you should do. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in my late 30s and my wife and I are in our late 30s and you know she's finally going to school for the things she wants to. She's finally she's finally you know uh, my wife's finally got a promotion uh, and, and, and working for a library. Uh, me, I'm working in IT, um, and I'm not really doing what I want to do. And I think that I've spent so much time in my life doing what people told me I should do that I I don't even know what I want to do with my life anymore. (laughs) Um, and so I can kind of understand, you know, where, where Jack was coming from, where, where Danny was coming from, if you will. Um, and where Tim's coming from, just, just. Thinking different and seeing the world different, and just kind of wanting to do what you really want to do. So, uh, I'm trying to do that now, and you should try to. Whatever is making you happy, whatever is your real passion, go out and do it. You're going to have to put the work into it f- for real. And I mean, that's what I did with this po- podcast. Uh, that's what I did with some stand up comedy, just going and doing the things that I want to do. And you know you never you never too old and <laughs> you know you just got to go out there and do the things you want to do so um so this movie was a, a passion of somebody that just wanted to do and create the things that they wanted to create and 30 plus years later it's still being loved uh, you know i wish wish i could say the same thing for myself <laughs> 30 plus years ah uh, jeez so uh, I want to wrap this up with with three more films that I think you should really check out that are directed by Tim Burton, and they have that gravely amusing style, you know that that, that Brian Peters style that uh, that you guys love. So if you only know of Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, check out these other films here. And No Beetlejuice is not on this list. Yes, I do love that movie, um, but but Beetlejuice goes without saying that you should watch it. Because if you never have, or you you didn't watch it, like you're you're crazy. Uh, I watch that movie basically every other year, Um, and if you don't, you're nuts. It's Tim Burton and one of his finest movies, so you 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 have to watch it. So an honorable mention goes to Beetlejuice and also Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Uh, You know, it was Tim Burton's first, and you just you just never forget your first. And it's funny. It's iconic. Great Tim Burton style. Both those movies. So, so back to the three most gravely amusing Tim Burton films. Um, the, the most Brian Peters style. Uh, if 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 I made movies, this would be my style. So, uh, coming in at number three is one that uh, I'll probably get a lot of crap for, but it's what I. This these these are my fa- my personal favorite. Tim Burton films, other than Batman, of course, and uh, and Beetlejuice. These are these are my top three. So you can give me crap, I don't care. You know, it's my list. So but number three is Mars Attacks. Uh, this movie is often given crap for poor CGI in 1996, but it was like it was 1996. Just just give it a break. Uh, Tim didn't have. Tim wasn't given much of a budget for this, but I think he did pretty good. Uh, this came out the same year as Independence Day, and where Independence Day takes alien invasion very serious, uh, this this just ups the campiness and ridiculousness. Uh, this movie is, This movie to me is fun. It's just really fun. It's a homage to 1950s sci-fi movies and just alien greatness. Uh, this movie is crapped on for having no substance or no story, but this movie knows exactly what it is. It tells you exactly what it is in the title. Mars Attacks. And, and what a cast in this movie. You have Jack Nicholson playing the president and this casino owner. He playing double duty in this movie. You have Pierce Bronson as this scientist that's always smoking a pipe and just being ridiculous. Um, you have Michael J. Fox in it. You have Jim Brown, Pam Greer, you have Danny DeVito, Annette Benning, Gwen Close plays the, the first lady. And you have Nellie Portman in it. Uh, she did this movie right before she did Star Wars. So this is her, like, you know, relatively, relatively very young in this film. And uh, she plays the daughter of the president. And the movie makes fun of just how oblivious the world would be to martians like how it be no big deal and we think that they would come in peace or something um you know the, the government said recently that aliens do exist the us government said that the gov- that aliens do exist and and nobody cares like nobody's talking about it nobody's doing anything we would rather talk about you know will and jada not being together or you know just just stupid bs like like aliens exist, they're they're out there. Um, and Mars Attach just makes fun of that that concept of the different ways to approach aliens. And it's just it's it's so campy, it's so fun, it's 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 weird. Um, you know, Martin Schwartz in this movie, as like uh, as a White House uh like public secretary or, or yeah, yeah, a press secretary. Uh, who, who you know, he loves. He loves hookers. <laughs> so one, the aliens poses as a hooker. Um, it's 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 fun. It's just a fun, stupid, weird movie. And I, anyway, I like it. So give me a break. So that's number three. Uh, number two is for me is Sweeney Todd with Johnny Depp and uh, Helen Helen Botham Carter. This musical makes me kind of like musicals um, or this is the type of musical that I would like. Um, I'm not a big musical guy, but I like this one. Uh, this movie is beautifully cast. It's violent. It, it's fun at times because of the humor in it. it. It has humor in the right places. The film looks great as it, as it shows Victorian London and the movie is just a sad tale of revenge and tragedy. And it's done so well. Uh, if you don't know the story of Sweeney Todd, uh, basically there was a barber named uh, named Benjamin Barker. Uh, I think I got his name right. And uh, Benjamin had a lovely wife, and uh, and he had a daughter. And his wife was beautiful. And there was this judge, this corrupt judge, uh, in the movies played by Alan Rickman. Uh, rest in peace, Alan. You were amazing. And Alan. Finds this woman beautiful, so he basically uh, frames Benjamin for a crime. I can't remember what the crime was off the top of my head. It probably was murder or something. And Benjamin uh, gets sentenced to prison for fifteen years in Australia. He gets shipped off to Australia, and uh, the judge basically rapes and uh, and and kills. Um, Benjamin's wife which is uh, very disgusting very tragic and um, the judge takes Benjamin and uh, his wife's daughter and raises her uh, as his ward doesn't say his daughter says his ward and uh, 15 years pass and Benjamin comes back he's coming back to London for his revenge and he's looking for the judge and he's not quite uh, mentally stable at this time. And he uh, he changes his name or he has an alias uh, Sweeney Todd. and Sweeney Todd is the barber of Fleet Street. so he oper- op- uh, opens a barber shop and while he's and this barbershop shop is on top of a pie store um, or a pie shop made by um, Mrs.. Mrs. Lovett, yeah, Mrs. Lovett, played by uh, Helen Botham Carter, and um, Mrs. Lovett, her business sucks. She's uh, she makes meat pies, and basically, what happens is that uh, Sweeney Todd kills a man, and they don't know what to do with the body. So, um, you know, Mrs. Lovett, she uh, she cooks the bodies into her meat pies and makes profit. So, story of you know cannibalism and murder and blood and revenge, and it's pretty awesome. Um, it's a great story, awesome cast, uh, and the cast had to make it easy for Tim. I, I, you know, it just I, I, I love the film. It's 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 so great. Uh, it's tragedy, you know. There's you know, but but it's 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 a great film. Uh, number one and. Number one is what I actually feel is the best Tim Burton movie. Um, uh, some of my one of my friends uh, likes Sleepy Hollow the best. Um, one of my friends likes Big Fish the best. Big Fish is really good. Uh, I will talk about Big Fish eventually, but um, for me, Tim Burton's best film, um, you know, and is Edward Scissorhands. Um, I really. Love Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Edward Scissorhands tells the story of an inventor played, of course, by Vincent Price. Because, you know, Tim loves Vincent Price. And Vincent Price, um, this is one of his final roles. So, um, And Vincent Price plays this inventor who lives in this mansion at the top of a very large mountain. And there's no real color up there. Uh, it's very gothic. It's very dark. And below the mountain is a neighborhood full of pastel-colored houses all in a row. Just neat, perfect, perfectly mowed lawns. Everything's perfect. And it has single housewives and gossipers and, you know, you know how the world is. The, the way the world should be. And when this inventor was making this man... Uh, kind of like in Frankenstein, Frankenstein type stuff. Uh, it was trial and error and taking time. And he, he had the plan out all the steps uh, as in the scene in the, in the movie, the inventor's book for creating this man um, at the final stage shows him, you know, in the suit and he, you know, he, he looks good and has hands and, you know, he's living um, well. um he, for, for for until he can make the the creation's hands he gave him scissors for hands and it's it's probably because they look like fingers and you can still grab things with the knives you know in this and with the scissors and this inventor was ready to give his creation hands um but but he dies he i think he, he either has a heart attack or a stroke um and he dies on the day that he was going to give him hands. So he gives this creation life. He gives the creation a name of Edward, but he gives him no hands. So Edward has been up there all alone in the attic in the mansion for years. And we see Peg, who is an Avon sales lady. And she's driving around the neighborhood and nobody's buying anything. She, she doesn't have any customers or any new customers. And she's curious about this mansion. You know, maybe I could sell something to him. I've never been to the mansion. What happens? And she drives up there, and she sees all the statues, and and it seems that the hedges are clipped very nice. Um, And she gets in there, and she goes up. She finds the attic, and she finds Edward, you know, Edward in the attic in a corner, just in the shadows and dark and alone. And she, you know, are you alone up here, she asks, And and uh, she says, you know, where's your mother? Where's your father? And Edward says uh, he didn't wake up. And Peg, feeling sad for Edward um, and curious, she, and the cuts all over his face because of, you know, of his scissored hands, she takes Edward home with her. And, uh, and she brings him home. And the whole the whole town is in an the uproar. They're totally fascinated by Edward. And we get this story of Edward trying to fit in, of um, Edward trying to understand the world. Him, he goes to a bank and tries to get a loan, but he doesn't have a social security number. He doesn't have any assets, and he was trying to open like a barber shop up. <laughs> um, and you know, he doesn't understand the concept of money, so he keeps like cutting hair. And cutting hedges for free. And just doing it because he's nice. And because he just wants to help people. And he's just trying to fit in. And eventually he f- falls in love with Winoa Ryder. Who plays Peg's daughter. And uh, he falls in love with her beauty. And, and and the goodness that's in her. But she has a really douchebag boyfriend. Uh, who's very selfish and just, just an evil guy. So Edward and Harry and that guy come into conflict and, uh, and Edward's just trying to understand the world. He's hoping for acceptance. He, he just, he just wants to be a part of that world and the world just keeps rejecting him and keeps accusing him of things. And the world wants him to be a certain way, but Edward wants to be another way. Um, this film is is just beautiful. Uh, I watched it again a few weeks ago after many years. And, uh, and I learned that Tim came up with the concept thinking about his life and his childhood and and Burbank and how he was different and just how he wanted to be a part of things. But, but eventually he was different. And I think this makes this, this makes this film so good is, um, is that some people are just not the norm. You know, some people are just trying to be accepted. You know, maybe you think differently. You know, maybe maybe you feel differently than what the world says you should be. And this movie is just beautiful to to focus on how people want to be loved and part of this world. And uh, and sometimes we can be, you know, sometimes we we can be accepted, but some people usually just shun us and they just don't understand this and. Uh, it's a modern fra- Frankenstein tale as where the scissor hands is. Um, it's full of sadness for sure, but it's, it's really beautiful. And bravo to Caroline Thompson for writing this movie. And, um, and honestly, I don't, I don't think that there is a truly horrible Tim Burton film. I, I think that there are ones that are better than others. Um, <clears throat> I know that Dumbo wasn't very great. Um, probably because Tim had a horrible time making it, but, uh, but they're great Tim Burton movies, so definitely look them up. And I, and I hope this list kind of gets you started. Um, Tim opened, his, opened the eyes to the idea that sometimes there is beauty in the strange and unusual things of life. And I think I'm going to continue to be strange and unusual. And I, and I hope you will, too. So find me on Facebook, on Gravely Amusing page, uh, on X at Musing. Uh, we're on. I'm on Instagram. Gravely amusing, you know. Find you uh, whatever you want to talk about, horror stuff, whatever. I'm here for you. Um, I spent many years being a counselor, and uh, and and youth pastor and stuff. So I'm I'm here for you guys. Uh, I've been Brian Peters, and I hope this podcast thrilled you. I hope something horrified you, but if nothing else, I hope you were gravely amused. Have a good day, everybody. Take care.